Welcome back to the Lessons for Tomorrow podcast, the motivational poster in your ear. I'm your host, Tim Alanius, VP of Strategic Initiatives at AmericanEagle.com. In this episode, we're going to be diving into more about our partner, Pantheon, and what they have in store for us with web ops and the incredible growth in that specific area. And with me today, I am joined by Josh Koenig, co-founder and chief strategy officer of Pantheon. Josh, welcome to the show. Thanks. Great to be here with you today. Josh was part of the first high-profile public Drupal use case with the Howard Dean campaign in 2003, funded the Drupal Dojo, an online learning community for developers, and in 2021, Josh was recognized as a top 25 software products executive by the Software Report. He is also the co-founder of Pantheon, a leading web ops platform where you are now serving as the chief strategy officer. Josh, can you just give us a little bit of background about Pantheon before we jump into our conversation today and let our listeners understand who you are and, and kind of how you came to be? Yeah, absolutely, Tim. Thanks. Pantheon really emerged from the experiences that I and my co-founders had in like the mid-aughts with scaling up the adoption of open source CMS. So uh, we were working in the Drupal ecosystem, really great open source software community, lots of fantastic people there. And our consultancy had us working with, you know, over time, larger and larger customers with bigger and bigger websites. And those customers and websites were all pretty different, right? They had different ends in mind, you know, whether it was a big nonprofit or like a Berkshire Hathaway company or a big government agency or a university, they all had different use cases, different designs. They were building different things. But we ended up with with a really repeated pattern for how we would implement these projects and then how we would run them because obviously you have to run the website somewhere. And we realized that those patterns for building and running the websites were just getting refined project over project. They weren't really changing that much. And we also realized through the community that a lack of having really good practices for those key components really put these projects at risk. So, you know, a common story you'd hear, like you go to a conference, right? There's happy case studies and then there's like the hallway track or the happy hour track where you hear not so success stories, which are often very informative. So, you know, a common refrain, and I think you still hear this today is, well, you know, I got a little bit behind on my project. So I tried to hire a couple extra contractors that actually slowed things down because everybody's stepping on each other's feet and like getting frustrated. We had to pull a couple all-nighters to get the website launched and then the website crashed. And then we had to pull a couple more all-nighters to get things stable. And now nobody wants to touch it because it's kind of like late in the stage Jenga game where like any change potentially puts the stability of the project at risk and like nobody's happy and you know you have this like okay we got the new website live but it's not what we wanted and we also don't feel confident we can evolve it and that's a really bad place for you to be in with your web strategy right like the web is this extremely primary digital channel right everything else you do in from a digital communications or marketing standpoint you know you're talking social media search ads email they all, you know, every marketing thing has a call to action. The call to action is a click. The click goes to a web experience. If that web experience is something that you're not proud of, man, it's hard to do your job. So long story short, we wanted to solve this like very core technical challenge of how do you really responsibly, effectively, and productively build and deploy websites at scale. And that was the core lessons that went into Pantheon. And then, of course, we've added layers and layers and layers of value as we learned from, you know, having thousands of customers instead of like tens of clients over the years. It is amazing the amount of learning you get when you do pass kind of that threshold of as a small company, just having a handful to then a, a little bit more that medium size and getting to the hundreds. And then when you hit that large 
and and even into the enterprise side that thousands of clients and projects and all the lessons that you learn from them i love the phrase you used a little bit ago of just the hallway track and it's so true at these conferences and and just kind of the behind the scenes right everything you see is typically the positive case studies but the lessons really learned aren't just from the positive but it's also from all the attempts that are made and it's from that conversation that anyone developers marketers have with each other to learn from what others have tried. And that's one thing I always like talking about is when you look across multiple industries and you're not just a niche industry focus, there's a lot of lessons to be learned about traffic spikes from an association at a certain membership registration point or during a conference sign up for events. You have e-commerce sites that have spikes at certain aspects of holidays or with certain promotions. Uh, there's all sorts of different ways that these different industries can learn from one another. And all too often, these conferences feel very focused on the niche industry. And there's ones out there that are broader, but I think that's really where, as you mentioned, there's so much to be learned from across it. But the stability point that you talked about, the lessons learned from those experiences, trying to get that project through, that kind of fear of change really impacts a lot of digital experiences and making improvements to them as well. They do get that project done, and then they go, to your point, that late in the stage Jenga game, they don't want to pull on one piece or try and make one change without that true security in their mind. And so how does Pantheon kind of bring that to the forefront? And where does this term web ops really coming from in, in the way that Pantheon is using it and providing it as a service? Yeah, yeah. Thank you for following up and asking me <laughs> like to explain our web ops, right? A lot of this was born from our experience as consultants, but it's not like we were inventing things that had never been thought of before. Like web ops at the end of the day, the core of it is the application of extremely proven approaches to managing software in DevOps made to work in the specific context of the web, which has some unique characteristics uh, and, and needs to include a broader set of stakeholders than traditional or old school DevOps might, right? So we have to think about the people who ultimately are uh, the business owners of websites. Usually, again, usually that's a marketing or communications persona. They have to be fully engaged for web ops to work. We have to think about not just backend developers and like server scalability, security type concerns, but also front-end developers and content creators, because that's what actually delivers the experience. So it's like, it's a narrower set of technologies because honestly, DevOps could be everything and really anything, but it's a deeper stack of stakeholders that we engage in the process. And what it really boils down to is giving, like you said, that fear, right? The core value of WebOps is letting people step out of a place of anxiety or fear or just being stuck when it comes to what they're able to do with the web and really unleash those teams to be creative. And we kind of think of it as like, there's like a little, if you can imagine a little three-layer pyramid in your mind, and there's this bottom layer of the pyramid, which is the stability. It's the credibility. It's the security of the website. It's the uptime. It's the core performance, right? Because if your website is hacked, if your website is down, if your website is taking too long to load, that's just suddenly like all the oxygen has left the room. And no one can think about anything other than fixing that problem. And they'll do anything to fix that problem because it's survival. And far too often in the old world, and frankly, in the today world, in many organizations, unfortunately, fixing that problem is just achieved by locking everything down. You know, maybe it's not that, you know, there was like a slapdash rush to launch and so things are a little unstable and no one wants to touch it. Maybe things are very stable because no one can touch it. And that's not uncommon, right? Everything is locked down. That's not good. You know, if you have your stability, but the stability is essentially you're frozen, it's still not a great place to be from a getting 
something done standpoint. The next layer of value that WebOps delivers is productivity. So like you have stability and productivity, which is a really powerful combination. And we achieve that by making sure that, you know, it's a SaaS platform, you're building and running in the same environments. There's workflows for everything. It's all push button. It's on demand. You're not filing support tickets. It's not like a thin layer over a present day IT service. It's really like a real time capability using these powerful open source tools and really unlocking their full potential as software. And then ultimately, with the productivity there, you can make impact. And that's the top of the pyramid, right? Your website has a job to do. And if you're not able to make that website experience just as good as all the other pieces in your digital communications or marketing strategy, then, you know, you're not, like I said, it all goes back to that tremendous bottleneck on everything in your organization. So that's kind of WebOps in a nutshell for us. It's this idea of it's a people process and platform approach, but it's honestly just like really getting at that core value of DevOps, making it work for web teams, making them super productive so that they can have tremendous impact. And I love how you broke that down with that simple visual of that triangle and Two things I just want to kind of highlight on that is first, from the scalability perspective, that's both on the technology side and growth of your digital service needs. And then it's also on the scalability side of your team. And I think that's Mm -hmm. so important for people to understand today, especially over the past two years with pandemic and the impact that that has made to the acceleration of so many organizations into digital experiences that they weren't on the track for within the past two years. And maybe they were on the track for in three to five. They were rapidly accelerated. A lot of them stood up technology stacks that they are now going back through and saying, how do we optimize this to the reference of the Jenga game? They quickly scaled that Jenga thing, you know, tower up and put what they could in to survive. Now it's really about the optimization. So with the web ops and the, the stability factor of what really comes through, that scalability between team and technology, I think, is so critical for everyone to understand, especially as we've talked about like spikes in traffic or needing to add new experiences, you have that opportunity on, on both sides of it. And then the productivity, I think, is where everyone wants to see that, right? That's the productivity of the content being distributed across multiple channels or being reached through multiple devices. And so that productivity side is so critical, especially for the marketers in my mind, but even more so for developers. And you mentioned that kind of you know click of a button and you don't have to open support tickets. I want you to unpack that a little bit more for our listeners and just what is kind of that initial experience or process with Pantheon? And we don't have to go through every single step, but it, you know when we've talked previously, it's just it sounds so empowering to these developers and these teams of how they can get started and really spin up a solution in a very short time frame. Yeah, yeah. So so like what does it actually do is a totally fair question. What you get from our platform essentially it is like a first class DevOps workflow process combined with world class production website hosting in one platform that's available as a service. So when you sign up for Pantheon, you click a button, you create a new project, that project immediately has separate environments for development, testing, and production. Those environments are consistent. There's a workflow to deploy changes between them. You can create another environment because often you need more than one pre-production environment, especially if you have a team. It's a multiplayer experience. So you click a button, you can create another environment that's entirely consistent with the rest of them. All the software to run that, we kind of deliver this serverless value proposition because you don't ever have to think about it again. There are obviously servers, uh, <laughs> but uh, but it's the value to the customer is that it's serverless. You say, boop, 
let me push my code here. Now it's running on the internet. I didn't have to think about anything other than pushing my code to this endpoint um, or clicking this button to create a copy of that environment. You can add, click a button to add a new team member. And that also scales out the individual project level. One of the things we actually learned after launching Pantheon was that larger customers with big site portfolios, there's a real interesting value proposition for them as well, where you know, you're not managing a website, you're managing tens, hundreds, thousands of websites. And there's another thing in the overall sort of like narrative of freeing people up and unblocking them and, and giving them in the DevOps language, centering the accountability and the authority over a business result with the accountability and authority over the technology that is key to achieving that result. In a lot of places, large organizations historically You've had way too many stakeholders smushed into fighting over what one website is and does. And that gets down to like a very difficult prioritization argument because there's like one piece of software and one team that has to make decisions about how to evolve that software and make changes. Like one of the things we help organizations do also with, again, ties back to this whole push button capability and the oversight and the governance of all this. We make all that really easy so that an IT organization can say, yeah, I feel good about having 20 websites instead of one. Like that sounds exciting to me. That sounds liberating and freeing and not like a chaos nightmare. And that ability to flip the script in terms of what organizations can do and what teams can do that's really key to, again, getting after that impact. And our users today, most of our users are developers, right? That's who actually logs into Pantheon and does stuff. But the people that are adjacent to them in their organizations, they rely, like you rely on software and technology to do your job. You know, you've got a developer who's increasingly in your organization, or at least like, you know, matrixed to you so that you can have access to them, or you've hired someone, you've hired a digital agency or even just a contractor, right? So the people that are adjacent to these developers, you know, the designers, the content creators, the people designing and running campaigns that are looking for results, they get tremendous value because they can see stuff before it goes live. They can interact with working software to figure out what it is they're trying to do and to test and so forth. And the process that we put people in, you know, in contrast to that sort of Jenga state where you've got web ops up and running and you like are confidently able to keep making changes to your website, substantive changes, changes to the user experience, changes to design, not just posting a new piece of content, although it's good to be able to post as well. Like if you're able to do that, you know, every couple of weeks based on what you're seeing in the real world, the feedback you're getting from actual visitors, from actual users, that's how you develop a really killer digital experience rather than like, doing a huge project to do a big relaunch and then kind of living with it for a couple of years, right? That's the real change that we give organizations. We let them really, you know, treat the website like a living project. I love how you phrase that at the end there, a living project, because back in the day, I'll date myself a little bit, when I was building websites, well, first off, I started in just HTML. And then I moved into, you know, Netscape Navigator and all that fun experience back in the day. Then moved into the Macromedia products before they were acquired by Adobe and Macromedia Dreamweaver. And just the fact that you would create everything locally, push it up to a server through an FTP, upload all your files and call it a day. You weren't experimenting. You were constantly having to bring and sync things back and forth. And then when we started moving into much more of the database solution versus the flat file side of things and getting into the dynamic aspects of sites, that really started to open up the complexity of what building these digital experiences became. You add in mobile apps, all the different channels that you want your content to go out into, the aspect of having this kind of going beyond hosting to really focus on the full workflow 
and just the experience that people can have of both the dev side going through like you just talked through and building those different environments, that's critical now. Back in the day, we didn't have multiple environments. It was your local machine and it was the live production server, unless you were a really big organization who had a, a testing server in between. And I would say in the beginning, that was also pretty rare because people would just post and it was what it was. But now it's much more, we need that capability. And if you don't have your environments in sync, you can be trying to test something, but it's not the true results of what happens on the live production site. And that's so critical in today's world. And when you talk about the workflows and the way that Pantheon enables and empowers these teams, really it's allowing even more automation to happen so that we're not having to do everything manually. We're not having someone check in and check out files, but really from the deployments to testing, regression testing is a big one that we do now as well. What other ways are you seeing the growth in the industry and in the technology even to say that's really taken things that became that were very manual and how now have become more automated? And where do you see that continuing to go in the future? That's a great question. I think you're sort of tracking that evolution from we're managing static HTML files built by hand, right, to we have a system with a database that allows us to create new content and publish via these templates. And now we're in this world where we're, we're treating our website like a piece of software, right? We're using a software development and deployment pipeline to manage a bunch of software aspects while simultaneously allowing people to post and publish content through that software at the same time. It's an intricate dance. Yeah. That's why it is a thing to apply DevOps thinking to this use case. Because most people who are deploying software, they're like, yeah, I don't have to really worry about content too much or my application stateless and so on and so forth. And they don't have all these complexities. This also kind of mirrors an evolution of the web, like you mentioned before, as, as people have had to do a lot of things very quickly over the past couple of years, particularly as the web became really the only channel you had to reach the public. You've gone from a web that was about having a brand presence, like I have a website, like look at me, that's cool, to the web as a, a place where everybody has their own publishing channel, right? The rise of like content marketing and, and sort of all these different publishing verticals and personal publishing verticals, and you know, whether that's you know blogging to social media, like web 2.0 basically. And now over the past two years, really accelerating this what had been a slow-moving trend of digital transformation. That had been going on forever, but it really got a kick in the pants. And that's where it's like, oh no, this is actually not just a way that we shovel content out into the world. This is a medium through which we do our business, through which we achieve our goals as an organization, in which we pursue our mission. And if you really want to treat that medium as something that's truly active and alive, like I said, like a living project, you treat it like software. That's what software does. It's not publishing, it's software. And with software, to get back to your point, automation is key because there's so much complexity to handle. And so today, our platform supports, you know, because we can give you these consistent environments and we can kind of... I won't say completely because that would be a lie, but we can almost completely eliminate it worked on my machine as a phrase that people hate to hear popping up in a stand-up meeting, right? We can help people get away from that because we provide these environments on demand. We guarantee their consistency. We guarantee their availability. Like it'll be just as fast in the pre-production environments as in production. Don't fool yourself into thinking that it'll be faster when you deploy it to live. It won't be. Make it fast there and you'll know what you're getting. And also it'll behave exactly the same way. So we have a API and hooks for scripting and so forth to allow people to integrate, you know, whether they're using GitHub or Jenkins or you know, some other continuous integration service. Pantheon's a great target for all that. And we're also looking to try to see you know, where we can, like we've done with the underlying server stuff where there's still servers, but you don't have to think about it anymore, trying to take away some of the other stuff that is really, we could fully automate. 
So like we're doing a thing now with a product called Autopilot where, you know, there's a lot of development work that isn't about like improving the website. It's just about maintaining all of your open source dependencies, right? You've got a, you know, this thing got updated, this library got updated, this plugin got updated. There was a security release for Drupal core, right? A lot of that just is like, okay, apply the updates, look at the website. Does it look broken? No, it doesn't look broken. Okay, that's safe to deploy. Because these are routine updates. They're not supposed to break anything. And that like Mark 1 human eyeball test can be done by software. You can train a robot to go take screenshots of your live website at a consistent environment that's had all the patches applied and say, are they the same? Like, are, actually, if they're the same pixel to pixel across a bunch of pages, it's safe to deploy. That's all that most people will be doing in real time. So Autopilot allows us to fully automate a use case like that and then going forward, provide a framework for people to develop more sophisticated use case specific testing of that nature. That's one way. Automating quality assurance, automating these kind of digital maintenance tasks is key because we can reduce human error because humans will make mistakes and software makes mistakes less frequently than humans. And then also that like gives teams back their time to go be productive and make impact. Because most organizations, the single most precious resource isn't even budget. It's the time of the people with the talent to have that kind of impact because it's precious, right? And the thing is, if you have to do maintenance, you have to do maintenance and that takes up your time. But if you don't have to do maintenance and you were, weren't afraid to make changes, what would you do? What would you do with that time? What would you do if you weren't afraid? How would you move things forward? And I love that because that maintenance is the one that, to your point, introduces that fear of change to a site. It also introduces the aspect of, and Pantheon has an ebook about this, so I encourage our listeners to go and check that out on the website. And I love the title of it, How to Kill the Website Relaunch. And to me, that was such an appropriate title because it used to be, back in the day, we went through these big relaunch projects and you'd redesign, you'd relaunch, or if you change platforms, you'd go through this long process. And it still is, it happens today as companies grow and they need to go into a new CMS or DXP because of course the acronyms change constantly. And with that, it's really looking at the fact that you would do this big project and then release it all at once. Now we can iteratively do it. And I, I love how Pantheon really brings that opportunity for the iterative and the whole agile approach into this. And like you said, it's much more about the software lifecycle of what is now happening versus trying to go in and do this big project, release it and go, okay, I'm done. And then you start it all over again. And then you release a big effort. And the iterative changes are where you learn the most. And for me, especially when I look at more of the front end side of things with A-B testing and optimization, conversion rate optimization, lead generation, why wait for a big relaunch if I can iteratively change these pages? But to your point about time and that value of that time of the people on your teams, when you don't have to have them thinking about the maintenance side of the entire solution, they have that time to go and think more creatively and iteratively for these other changes to make that bigger impact. That top of the triangle that you talked about at the beginning of the show is so important is that impact that can be delivered because of the automation and because of the stability and scalability that organizations have when they put web ops in place. Yeah, the big projects still happen. And there is a time and a place for a big project. The way that I try to talk to people about it, it's like relaunch is kind of the dirty word that we're trying to make, like, you know, to have people be, that's not, you just pick a word. It's not really fair. Relaunching is fine, right? But like that process of doing the big project, unveiling it all at once, and then just kind of being stuck with it. That's what we're trying to get people to think around. And, you know, you might need to do a big project. You might need to replatform. But what you want to make sure of is that your plan has the go live 
for that new platform at latest halfway through your plan so that you keep a lot of resources online, a lot of budget available, because then once you've got your platform up and running, now the real story, the real fun part begins because you get to start to do things and learn. And so far too often, the challenge is just that people end up, you know, only getting to the go live point at like 80, 90 or 99% of their resources. Everybody's exhausted. They don't have any more budget. And so then you're just kind of like hoping that it works. And you know, that's not a great plan versus, you know, being able to put yourself in a position where you can use best practices, you know, like doing experimentation, like getting into starting to do audience-based segmentation, content personalization, like zeroing in on real business drivers. Like, again, your website has a job to do. You should be able to measure whether it's doing its job. We have some case studies from customers where they internally referred to their website as a lead generation machine, right? And optimize that machine. You can tell whether it is, you can have metrics that tell you whether it's doing its job. That's also goes back to, again, that thing about like making sure that you're able to, in a larger organization, center accountability and authority over the website, its technology and its business outputs in like a single place. Like if you have 10 different people with 10 different goals, all fighting over what a website is supposed to do, you can't reasonably expect that website to perform very well. So yeah, it's the ability to draw the line through what is the actual outcome that we're trying to drive? What is that impact? And then what do we need to do? What's the team look like we need to have that impact go up? Yeah, no, absolutely. Josh, I want to kind of take a moment here to talk about the future and where you see the growth. Obviously, we highlighted a little bit about from static to dynamic, database-driven. There's still data centers out there, so I, I love that you're going with the serverless approach uh, because <laughs> headless has been this nice big phrase I get to explain to a lot of organizations at times. But when we look at the future, and you talked a little bit about like autopilot and some of these other things, next three years out, where do you see web ops really going? What maybe ideas in your head are potential opportunities for web ops to either solve more, automate more, or fill in the blank, something that's coming down the road? Yeah, I think there's a couple things that are not just about web ops, but are actually industry-wide trends that web ops is going to be a, an important part of. One is the continual evolution and increasing quality of the web itself. I think like the web, you say web and everyone kind of, because it's been around for 30 years, doesn't give it very much respect. And people talk about digital experiences. And I like to always ask people, well, what is a digital experience? And I'm like, just looking at what is in front of me on my computer right now, I have like one application that's not actually just a website open. I've got like Slack, that's just a website. I've got Spotify, that's just a website. I've got Chrome open with six productivity tools in different tabs. Like mm -hmm. the web is actually how we deliver most of these digital experiences. And in the few cases where you don't, like from a communication standpoint, again, the calls to action all lead back to the web. The upshot is over the next few years, and you mentioned this with Headless, right? Headless is kind of the content management centric view of like, well, I don't manage the experience anymore. I just manage the content. But on the flip side of that is like Jamstack, right? And like that next generation of user experience. And that is deep in the uncanny valley between site and application. 
Yeah. Every website is now being judged, particularly because you know we just crossed over the threshold of over 50% of all web browsing in the U.S. being on mobile devices. End users don't really observe this distinction, right? Like they don't really say like, oh, it's an app. I have a different expectation than if I clicked a thing and it opened a window in my browser. Like they want it all to be just as good. And you're not going to be able to get there if you're not treating your website and your web strategy like a software project. So I think WebOps is going to be a big, like Jamstack is already like, very much like a cousin to WebOps, if you will, because it's it's very much about bringing DevOps values to front-end development. And so those two worlds are going to blend together. The other big trend that I see is, again, speaking more to that impact value proposition, we're barreling towards a world where the entire advertising and marketing tech ecosystems are going to get scrambled because cookies are going away, whether that's because of the evolution of technology or regulation. And that is just going to upend all the technology stacks that are used to like attract people to websites and in many cases figure out like what it is their experience is and then what you do with data if they elect to give you any. And so web ops being very much oriented around this use case of digital communications and digital marketing and including those marketers and campaign folks as primary stakeholders, I think that web ops is going to, I don't know what the answer is. I got to be totally straightforward. Like I don't know what the answer is. I have some wild guesses we could get into maybe. But I will say straightforwardly, this is speculation. But that is going to be a tremendous amount of change. That change is situated right in the bullseye of business value, right? That's like, why did Facebook's stock like drop by 25%? It's because they're being impacted by this. Everyone's going to be impacted by this. And if you're not in a position to be agile with how you're leveraging the web, then you know, you're not going to be in a good position. And I think WebOps has a practice as we've done with so many other things, will help people find the well-lit path. Like you don't have to invent things uniquely, right? You just need to do the best practices, right? And as those best practices emerge, they'll be part of the operations and the processes that we can support that you can kind of put on rails and help people, you know, get up and running with quickly. I don't know what those are now because we're living through the change today, but that's going to be a big part of the future. Absolutely. And you're absolutely right with the change for all the marketing technologies out there. ChiefMartech.com, Scott Brinker's diagram is always the one I always go back to. He took last year off of doing it, but in 2020, there was, I mean, over 8,000 different tools or more. I mean, it's just, it's, it's crazy the growth that we've seen since 2004, even if you go all the way back to some of the different tools that were out then. But with that, it's just the cookies and the loss of those, whether by the technology or by all the regulation, which the regulation is hard enough to try and follow. The one good thing that the EU did is they made it more of a blanketed statement across here is our regulation versus here in the US, we have individual state legislation and no federal. As much as I don't always ask for federal legislation, this is the one time I actually want it for what we do on a day-to-day basis because now you have to look at each state and a lot of them will mimic each other, but there's over 38, last I counted, about midsummer last year was the last time I counted, 38 states in legislation with regulation and privacy. So it's just, there's so many different ones you have to try and keep up with. And then when you take cookies away, I mean, even the advancement of the change in technology pace now, Google was going down one path with Flock, right? Federated Learning of Cohorts. They completely abandoned that just a little bit ago and now said, oh no, we're going with Google Topics and you still have an API to use for this. Even the marketing technology companies, even Google, who was the biggest one, are still trying to figure it out. And I mean, this has yeah. been talked about for since 2020, 
2019, 2020 is when it was first kind of cookies are going away. Cookies are dead. Oh, no, we're extending out again. We're extending out again. So it's coming. It will be a huge change. But to your point, you if you have your best practices in place, you are going to be able to handle those changes much more effectively and efficiently than if you don't have some of that kind of groundwork laid already with just what you're doing with your whole tech stack, with how you're hosting and, and the stability that can come uh, from a solution that Pantheon offers. And I think that's just where a lot of people need to take that maintenance mindset again. If you can automate that and kind of set it and forget it in a sense, not fully, but pretty close to it, that's a huge advantage where you can now actually focus on these other areas. Because what happens is if you don't have that time and, and that valuable aspect of focusing on it, it's a reactionary mode versus a proactive mode. And then you get a lot of the you know tools that'll step out and say, oh, well, we'll give you coverage, but it's like another layer on top. It's another layer on top and they might get acquired or bought out. So you get this opportunity to really put the best experience foot forward for your customers, but also, and I would say just as important nowadays, the employee experience for your teams of not having them rush around and try and figure things out when that Jenga tower comes crashing down with one little change that comes into the industry. Yeah, I really like the way you frame that. Again, that shift, the zero to one is moving from being reactive to proactive. Mm -hmm. And in a world where the web is a primary channel for engaging the public, no matter your audience, your fans, your followers, your constituents, and where that landscape is evolving rapidly, you need to be proactive because otherwise you'll just be firefighting like you know again like in many ways some of the core stuff that we do just again at that stability layer it's taking the firefighting away from you know it and sysadmins and so forth where that like you know if you go back to when i first started in this business that was a big thing right it's like who's on call like who carries the pager because servers go down and you can't wait until the morning to fix it and like pantheon's just like well that's now gone right that's no longer part of your world and now we're pushing that value further and further up the stack Right. So you can now have your web developers similarly not charged with like routine maintenance and be able to like then or reactive maintenance or responding to like bug requests because they released something and the homepage looks weird now. Right. They're much more of their time is focused on proactive, figuring out what needs to be done, driving a roadmap, working through a backlog of changes, analyzing the results of the last things that came out. Like, that's the stuff that you can't automate. Like software is not going to eat that part of the job because it takes creativity, it takes innovation, and it takes like, you know, human understanding. We can get software to take over the stuff that's routine, drudgery, make the robots do the janitorial work, let the people focus on the real stuff that's going to move the needle. Yeah, absolutely. As we kind of look to wrap up here, I want to make sure, is there anything that we haven't talked about today that is just like you're itching, it's on you know the tip of your tongue, I just really want to make sure that people understand this about web ops. Any final thoughts that you have? Yeah, I think the, the final thought I would have around web ops is kind of thinking this through as we had the conversation. What makes web ops really unique, like I said before, it's because it includes all these extra stakeholders that DevOps doesn't normally. But also, web ops has an awareness of content and data. And as we started talking about the cookie-less future, or the end of the cookie era, that's going to be so key because that awareness of data, customer data, user data, not just content, is going to become a make or break 
for organizations. So, you know, and again, we don't have all the answers now, but you certainly see the rise of like customer data platforms as a new category of software that's got a lot of traction and is rewriting the architecture, if you will, uh, rewiring the stacks that a lot of people use in really powerful ways. And again, so much of that flowing to and through and coming from web experiences, thinking about one of the benefits of adopting a web ops mindset and a web ops approach is it's going to give you the agility you need to think about where you're getting data from and then where you're sending it to, how you're processing it or whatever else that otherwise could create an enormous amount of risk for an organization if they're stuck doing things a certain way and the environment changes rapidly around them. So it's just another kind of point for that benefit of having a mindset that thinks about software and content and data and also like gives people real agility. Yeah, wonderful. Josh, thank you again. And for all those listening again, this was Josh from Pantheon co-founder and chief strategy officer. And Pantheon, again, for those who didn't catch it at the beginning, but hopefully you've been listening through the entire show, is the fastest and most reliable web ops platform with enterprise-grade security and customer support, really defining this entire web ops category. They have over 300,000 websites hosted, over 10,000 developers trained, and it is just uh, an incredible tool for delivering those value benefits and that peace of mind as we've been talking about throughout the show today. So Josh, just thank you for joining me on the show today. And for those of you listening, thank you for tuning into the future by listening to this podcast. For more information about the topics discussed today, check out the description of this episode and especially check out Pantheon's website, pantheon.io, where you can find the eBooks mentioned as well as a lot of other information and the ability to connect with their team and learn more about this exciting area of web ops. If you want to cover a topic or submit feedback for a topic for the show, please email us at lessonsfortomorrow at americaneagle.com. Be sure to also follow this podcast wherever you listen to them to stay up to date. And while you're at it, if you wouldn't mind giving us a rating and sharing this podcast with others to prepare them for the future, please follow us on social media and share. I'm occasionally in social media, but seldomly found posting original content at times besides this podcast. So please seek us out. Let us know if you have any ideas for future episodes. This episode is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios. I'm your host, Tim Alanius, and I'll catch you in the next lesson.